If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, uh, turn to Job chapter 1. We are continuing our uh, series from Job. Uh, Many of you realize uh, a lot of chapters in Job. We've taken the opportunity to try to uh, carve out five weeks to deal with uh, some of the message of Job, certainly not all. Uh, we're grateful for our time that we've had in Job. I would encourage you to uh, to read Job, spend time in Job. Um, it's a difficult book to understand in some ways, uh, but it uh, has been for me. The more I've read it, uh, the more clear it's become, and uh, I have been encouraged by it. Uh, it's good to uh, uh, it's good to see all of you here today. Uh, grateful for you. We have some who are traveling. We want to pray for them, and I'm sure we have some out. I know we have some that are visiting family and doing some other things. And uh, for those you miss seeing here today, I want to encourage you, if you will, to reach out to them during the course of uh, this week to let them know you miss them. Uh, we are family. When we miss family, we let them know we miss them. And want to encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, Adam, thank you for uh, leading us in, uh, in our time of intercession. Uh, I am reminded, uh, even from our confession today, that oftentimes we speak of suffering uh, apart from us. Uh, and for some, in some ways, it is distant from us unless we are suffering. But there is real suffering Uh, If you've not experienced it, you will in some degree. um, And and in doing so, our hearts should be drawn to being sensitive and compassionate uh, and caring. Uh, We should not look past suffering. We shouldn't look over it. uh, But we should look in the midst of it. Uh, I was called on by someone yesterday to, to pray as they were counseling someone. And my prayer was that... Uh, that in the midst of their time of counseling, uh, that they would uh, be sensitive to the suffering of the individual, uh, but point them to the truth of God's Word in the midst of that, because in that uh, is the only place that anyone who is suffering, anyone who is hurting, uh, will find hope and help. It will not come uh, from any place other uh, than God's Word. And I was also reminded as Janice and I were visiting her mother yesterday, uh, we were uh, talking about some of the issues and stuff that had been going on in the family. And, uh, and I was reminded uh, that uh, in Janice's brother's case who uh, had a stroke, um, uh, Janice's mother said that uh, Terry, uh, the, the wife, uh, had, was calm through the course of that and she had prayed every day that God's peace would be upon her and I said yeah God provided it and Janice reminded uh, an individual her daughter who helped bring calm to her that God uses us in the midst of people suffering and struggling uh, to point them back to the truth of God's word and to love them and to encourage them. So I want to encourage you uh, as you deal with suffering in your life uh, and as you deal with suffering in others' lives, look to seek to help to come alongside of uh, and then also find that person when you're suffering that can come alongside of you as well. 
we have often heard uh, this question and it surfaces not maybe not real often but it has often in the course of our lives are all men created equal are all men created equal uh, most of the time we know that when this question comes up that uh, someone is posing it or some group of people opposing a question and they're attempting to make some kind of a point uh, in some cases the point has been for good cause and and then there are times when it's not been for good cause but the question are all men created equal and the answer is always yes and no yes and no uh, if you're asking the question and referring to individual talent well the answer would be no uh, men and women have different talents and even those who have the same talent they have it at varying degrees uh, if if you haven't understood that, then follow a sports team or follow a particular sport. You'll see talented people who are playing, uh, but their talents aren't equal. Same is true with, uh, with intellect. Uh, there's just some people that, are, that, that have more intellectual capability than others. That's the truth of it. So in that sense, they're not created equal. Of course, our familiarity with this statement exists because it's included in our Declaration of Independence. The second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of government. Parameters were set there, and we see that we're aware that this statement stands as a foundation for supporting our, our self-governance uh, for the purpose of protecting uh, and providing those stated rights, but there are parameters that are in place there. Uh, we're going to ask this question today, are all men created uh, equal? Uh, you say, why would we ask that question? Because uh, as I've surveyed Job over and over and over again, I find three equalizers in Job. In other words, where three places where men are created equal. And I want us to take a look at these this morning because they'll lay the foundation uh, for what we want to look at this week and then again next week. And one of these we'll zero in on this week. Uh, we recognize that uh, the first equalizer is that we are created. All men are created. Uh, we recognize that from the very first scene. Uh, there in Job chapter 1, what do we see? We see God, the creator, uh, the authority over all of the universe, uh, calling court, if you will, and having all those subjects come to him and to report to him, and they are coming to him because he is uh, the Creator. Uh, he even uh, goes on toward the end of Job whenever God finally comes back on the scene to speak after uh, everybody has had their say. God comes on the scene in chapter 38 um, and we hear these words. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And then he tells Job, he says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. And then his question, the very first question comes, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? All the sons of God shouted for joy. The point is, is that God has created and Job and every other man and every other woman that has ever lived has been created by God. Apart from Christ, every other one has been created by God. We are not God. We are man. We are not creators. We are created. And in that, we are made equal. We are equal under God created. So the first equalizer is that every man is a created being. Man is not God. And here's the point. And when man seeks to be God, when man seeks to be God and his glory, he is on a short path to destruction. I was thinking about that. Because that's what he poses Job with. He says, Job, you're you're not me. You're not God. We looked at that last week. You're not me. You're not God. But think about it through Scripture, about leaders who put themselves in the place of being God. And what happened to them? Well, we know that Pharaoh did. He put himself as a God, and God destroyed him. He was on a fast track for destruction. And God kept warning him along the way. Nebuchadnezzar put himself up as a God, and where does he find himself? He finds himself running around in a wilderness, like a wild animal, living like a wild animal, thinking like a wild animal, because he had put himself in the place of being God. And we get to the New Testament, and then we hear of Herod. And I want you to hear what happens to Herod. It's recorded in Acts 12, beginning in verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now here's, here points back to God. And the next phrase is, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So we see in Job uh, that there is an equalizer, and that is that we are created beings. There's a second second equalizer that we've seen in Job, and that is that all men are sinners and no man can please God. You know, when we start out in Job, and we made mention of this last week, when we start out in Job, we hear Job characterized as a man that was blameless and upright, one that feared God and turned away from evil. We see that. God gives testimony to that. And if we misunderstand this, And if we misunderstand it to mean that Job was without sin and that somehow or another uh, he didn't have sin in his life, well then we have misunderstood what is being said. We only have to move to the end of Job, if we had any confusion of that, 
to hear what Job had to say after he came in the presence of God and God questioned him. And here's what happened to Job. Job 42 verses 1 through 6 tell us this. Then Job answered the Lord after he had gone through this, this process with God. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. And listen to this word. This, this, this word is there because he recognized he was wrong. He had sinned against God. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. It was interesting that he suffered in ashes. And now he comes and under deep conviction, he repents in ashes. So we see that Job isn't without sin. And when confronted with the holiness of God, he repents. Eliphaz, one of Job's counselors, posed this question. And as much as they got wrong, they got some things right. And here's what he said. And it was a question, and it was a rhetorical question. And I think we can understand the answer. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? And the obvious answer is, not in himself he cannot. We'll hear more about that next week. But not in himself he cannot. The psalmist wrote it this way. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 14 tells us that. Psalm 53 tells us that. And we see example after example after example. And just back a few weeks ago, we were looking at what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is our condition today. It is an equalizer. We are all created and we are all sinful. And that is evident in Job, and that is what God is speaking through Job, overarching over everything. Those are two of the equalizers. But the third is this, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time today. The third equalizer is death. It's death. The author of Hebrews, I think, is very precise and concise in what he says. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, Hebrews 9.27, death is inevitable. Paul wrote it this way, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sin, that's Romans 5.12, many of you have that committed to memory. But Job the man had something to say about death as well. And it's this third equalizer that we'll give a little bit of attention to. And primarily for this reason, is we need to confront death. It is appointed unto man once to die. It's something we're going to face. It's something that we face with others. 
It's something that we think about, and the older you get, maybe the more you think about it, or when you come uh, in in face to face with death, you, you think about it. It's something that we know very little about because we know about life, but we don't know about death. It's something that we fear, many people fear, but it's also something that at times may be preferred over suffering. May be preferred over suffering. I, I've, you've heard me mention this. I've, my daddy has said over and over again, and his suffering is great in some ways and not so much in comparison to others, but he said, I would rather be with the Lord. I would rather die than to live the way that I'm living. And he says that repeatedly. Uh, and, and it's not a woe is me, just that I, I just would rather go on and be with the Lord. It's something that at times is preferred over enduring the suffering. It's all of these things for, the, for Job. The book of Job doesn't lay out a complete theology of death, but it does help us see death in light of suffering and in the face of suffering. So what I want us to do over the next few minutes, I want us to point to six things, and we'll be real brief about them, but I want you to I want to point to six things that Job, throughout the book, speaks of that helps us understand about death. But before we begin, we may want to ask this question, what is death? Well, death is a separation. It is. It's a separation, and it's been said that it's a separation or a dividing of things that ought to be united. Now, why do we say this? Well, it's a separation from God, we know, and we ought not to be divided from God, but but death separates us. Spiritual death separates us from God. We know that because Paul writes to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And he's talking about a separation from God. To walk in sin is to be dead, to be enslaved to dark powers, to be separated from God. To, to walk in sin is to be a child of wrath and not a child of God, not a child of life. And this type of separation is kind of an estrangement. It says, Hostility, we're said to be at enmity with God, separated from God. But death is more than that. That's at the heart of it being a spiritual death. But death is something more than that. It is when our souls are separated from our bodies. That's what happens in the course of death. Two things that God had united together, the body and the soul, to make us who we are, it separates and the body is here, and the soul is here, and there is a separation. So the soul is no longer giving life to the body, and the body is no longer being filled with the soul to do the things that God has created the body to do. Now there's a question that often comes up, and, and you've probably wondered, where, what happened? Well, we... In our culture, we kind of know what happens to the body, don't we? We kind of know what happens to the body. There is at least uh, some closure that's brought to death for us as we gather around the graveside or as we, as we gather in a funeral home or in a church or somewhere and there's a, a casket and maybe we viewed the body, but if not, we're assuming that the body is in this box, in this 
uh, in this place. And we travel with that box, that body, until we get to the place to where we lay it at rest. Or what's common in our culture today is uh, cremation. We receive the remains and we know that the remains are there and then we deal with those remains whether they be buried or whatever they be but the point is is that we have some idea of what happens to the body but what we often have a question about is what what happens to the what happens to the soul uh, we place the, the the body the remains in a grave but what happens to the soul and the psalmist in psalm 1610 says uh, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The psalmist points us to the fact that the soul goes somewhere where it is held and it is kept. And it's not left there. It's not suffering in this sense, the righteous one. It's not suffering in this sense. It's not destroyed. We just know that death is the result of sin and it is the separation of the body from the soul, leaving the body lifeless and leaving the soul bodiless. And there's more to it than that, but it's no less than that. Why do we say that? Well, Job doesn't understand all that it means, but here is what we do understand from Job about death. And this is the first thing, that death is seen as a work of of God. In other words, God gives life and He takes life away. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job is a response to having everything other than his wife, and at this time other than his help, taken from him, including his ten children and their families. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave. He gave what? The Lord gave life, and the Lord has taken it away. He gave me my children. He has taken away my children. He gave me my family. He's taken away my family. He gave life, and He has taken it away away it is a response to the tremendous loss of his children the lord gave the lord's taken away now let's think about that for a minute doesn't that seem simple isn't that a real simple statement oh the lord gives and the lord takes away how does one speak so matter of fact about something that is so profoundly complicated and difficult. Well, it's just that plain. God gives life and He removes life. He alone controls life and He controls death. And this is what we need not miss in Job. There's a lot that is said about suffering. But there is a whole lot that is said about death and there is insight given to us in how God works in death. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it points us to the fact when it records God establishing the boundaries of Job's life, when He grants Satan permission to touch Job's body, look there in chapter 2. He says you can 
touch his body in verse 6. Behold, he is in your hand. Spare his life. In other words, God established the boundaries of what could be done as it pertains to life and death. We've already talked about that in reference to suffering. We need to see it in light of death. I love how Job concludes. Turn to chapter 42. And I know we're, we're, we're back and forth here, but we're, we're doing this as a broad survey here of Job. Verse 16, and after this, meaning after all of the suffering, all of the struggle, all of the hardship, even after the restoration, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job didn't understand all the complexities. He didn't understand the plans of God. He had no understanding of all that God was doing. He knew nothing about what was going on in heaven, but he was able to confess God gives life and God takes life. It's a profound truth. He gives life and he takes life. Job in chapter 14 and verse 5, you may want to turn there. He says, since his days, talking about man's days, are determined, and the number of his months is with you, speaking of God, you have appointed his limits, and he cannot pass. You have determined his days, you've determined his months, and beyond that, he cannot pass. What does that tell us? Does a person die prematurely? The answer to that is, is no. Are their days cut short? Not the days that God had planned. Did they die too early? No, not according to God's plan. Did they, did they suffer too long uh, as aged? Not according to God's plan. Did we add any days to their life? Not according to God's plan. Did we cut it too short? Not outside of God's providence. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them so even before even before we ever lived a day god had marked off a day and has marked off a day for you and he has marked off a day for me. And you will not exceed that day. And I will not exceed that day. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Death 
and life are in the hands of God. The second thing that Job helps us see, he helps us see death as an equalizer at another level. It's an equalizer because it renders every man powerless. Look in Job chapter 3. Verses 17 through 19. He's speaking of death because here he is saying, I wish I had never, he wish I'd never been born. I, I, I would rather not to have been born than to suffer the way that I'm suffering. And we know that he's talking about death because if you back up in verse 11, it says, why did I not die at birth? So he's talking about death. And then he gets to verse 17. He says, there, meaning death, the wicked cease from troubling. And there, the weary are at rest. And there, the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. There, that word's not there, there, but it's continuation. The small and the great are there. And the slave is free from his master. Whatever position we're in, whatever place we're in, death equalizes and puts us all on an even playing field. There is no power for any of us in death. So when we have died, it makes no difference what we have been here. It makes no difference how great our suffering, how great our prosperity, whatever it may be, there is an equal playing field in the course of death. And Job points us to that. So Job said, naked I came into this world. In other words, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The implications were much broader than just the material possessions. It had to do with everything in life. Except our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was thinking through this. Because I have walked along with young and the old to death. And here's what I found. That we fight to the very end in some way to hold on to power to hold on to wealth to hold on to independence but when death comes it strips it all away strips it all away every person is equal I want to ask you this question how should this cause us to view the changing states in our life. We're up one day, we're down the next. We're rich one day, we're broke the next. We're winners one day, we're losers the next. We're well one day, we are sick the next. All of these changing states in the course of life, and then death equals and levels the playing field and all of that. The third thing that Job helps us see is that in death we have no more control. 
We don't have any knowledge of what we leave behind, and we have no control of those things that we have left behind. Look at chapter 14 and verse 21. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. Notice what Job says. His sons come to honor, and he doesn't know it, and they're brought low, and he perceives it not. It's not an uncommon thing to attend a funeral, and if you haven't, I want you to come and tell me, because some of you may not have attended that many funerals, but I'm I'm interested to find out if you haven't heard this statement. But it's not an uncommon thing here. I know that he is looking down on me. No, he's not. I know she's looking down on me. No, she's not. She's not. Job says they come to honor, and it can be meant two different ways. They can come to great status in life, and you'll know nothing about it, but it also can point to the fact that they come to honor me in my death. You don't have a clue who's going to be there. You're not seeing it. You're not aware of it. And then they can also be brought low, and they can suffer and struggle in the midst of the hardship, and your children can prosper after you die, or your children can fall flat on their face after you die. You know nothing about it. Now, why is that important to remember? That has a lot to say to us in our living, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Now is the only time that we have to invest in people's lives. This opportunity that we're given now, our opportunity to invest in others' rest here today. But it leaves us when we die, and we will not know the success or failures of those we leave behind. And in that, there is an implication for our living. Some of you may be in this place some of you may not have thought about it. Have you thought about your life? And I'm not talking about not living to honor God, but have you thought about your life and what you do and how you carry yourself as it relates to those who have invested in you in the course of their lives, those that have already gone? If you haven't, it would be good to. And here's why. Because people have invested in you to encourage you, to help you. You did not get to where you are by yourself. God in His providence put people in our lives. Life is important as we invest in each other. In fact, part of what we do here in the life of the body of Christ, and Booney mentioned it other, uh, uh, earlier, and that is, is we seek to help each other to walk rightly in our lives. That is an investment in each other. 
And that could be in the way of your parents, grandparents, some friend, someone who has taken an interest in you, someone who invested in you that has now gone. They do not know what's going on in your life. But there is a responsibility on our part to steward what God has done in us through the lives of others. In fact, it is a demonstration of our honoring God when we honor them in our living because we are acknowledging God. You providentially put this person in the place of my life. And in that, in honoring you and showing appreciation to you and acknowledging your sovereignty, I want to live to honor that. In death... We have no control over that. We have control over it today. The fourth thing that we see that Job helps us see, that death is an end to earthly suffering. If you back back up in chapter 3, Job begins, begins by stating, one, I wish I'd never been born. Two, we just read it a moment ago in verse 11, why did I not die at birth? In other words, I longed for an early death. I now long, wish I had died an early death so that I would not be facing what I'm facing today. And I don't want us to be hard on Job and his suffering. We may have suffered like that. Some of you probably have. I've not suffered to the point that I wished I had not been born. I haven't suffered to the point that I wished I were dead. Except one time when I had a kidney stone that was really bad. And I just, on the way to the, on the way to the, um, well, actually we were going to the hospital, but Janice had to stop and drop me off at the, at the rescue squad when it was down there on uh, military cutoff. I, she stopped in the road at the stoplight right here at Middle Sound, right here. She stopped there and she said, oh, what do you want me to do? I said, let me out and run over me. That was what I wanted to do. I longed for death more than I did the pain of the kidney stone. But generally speaking, that suffering passed. Some people's suffering doesn't pass that soon. The point is, is that death ends human suffering here on earth and job understands that and he longs for that death if we track on over in chapters uh, seven six and seven uh, he continues to talk about longing for death and wishing he could die and pointing to that what does all that mean well paul echoes some of those same things when he's writing to the church at corinth but he's encouraging to stay the course in the suffering because this is what he said. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he puts it in perspective. And many of you already know. He says what? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that, that are unseen, looking ahead to eternity, 
Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Death does bring an end to human suffering. If you have it, you will. Children, youth, you're going to. I'll just tell you. There will be a day when you stand beside a bedside of someone that you love and that you care about. And they may not be old, but they may be suffering. And your prayer will be, God be merciful to them so that their suffering will end. I've done that on a lot of occasions. But I remember one occasion in particularly. Uh, some of you remember Jim Taylor. Uh, Jim was a young man that uh, had a close relationship with. Uh, Jim had had cancer just cover his body and he was positive he said I'm Jimmy he said I'm not he said he said I am not afraid to die he was not afraid of death but he was just he said I don't want to struggle in my dying and I did something with Jim that I'll never do again I assured him with the medical provisions and stuff that were available today I said uh, they will not let you suffer. You will not be in pain. I was not right. Because I remember standing behind his bed that night, pressing, I'm talking about for over an hour, just trying to hold him up so that he could gasp for air. And they were giving him morphine regularly. And finally the doctor came in and told his mom and daddy, I'm afraid to give him anymore. I'm afraid it will kill him. And his mother said, do whatever you have to do so that his suffering will end. And just held him there so that he could just gasp for air. I'm not trying to be over emotional about this. I am just saying that death ends that human suffering. And I remember when Jim took his last breath, I was so relieved for him because his earthly suffering had ended. And Job points us to that. But he also points us to something else. Job reminds us that death is something that should cause the living to worship. Go back to chapter 1. I love this. It, this is huge in this book. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Woe is me. That's not what's there, is it? Blessed be the name of the Lord. My ten children and their families are gone. And every one of us in here who have children today will say this. Take the clothes off my back. Lay the stripes on me. Rid my bank account of every penny. Let my house burn to the ground. Just let me hold and embrace my children. And Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. My children, blessed be the name 
of the Lord. What an incredible statement. Death should not cause us to turn from God, but to turn to Him. We shouldn't shun Him. We shouldn't blame Him. We shouldn't resent Him. We should worship Him. Why? Because His giving was good. His taking was good. It pleased Him. And if it pleases Him in the way that it can only please God, because He is Creator and we are not, because He is God and we are not, we should do what? We should worship Him and bless His name. And the last point. Job points us to the fact that death is not the end. And I love this. Even Job had hope in the resurrection. God had granted Job faith to trust in Him and to believe in Him. And and in Job's mind, and you read through the Old Testament over and over again, there was so little known about death. But God had granted those who trusted in Him to know that I am God. And that I grant life here. And I will grant you life there and you will not be left in Sheol as we read earlier even in our our assurance of pardon and in our confession and in our call to worship. You're not going to be left there. And notice what Job says. He said, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you and you would long for the work of your hands for then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. Find that in the 14th chapter beginning in verse 14. Hear that again. All the days of my service I would wait Till my renewal should come. He was looking ahead. Understanding that there was something beyond this life. And there was something beyond death. And he sealed that in chapter 19. Beginning in verse 25. And you're familiar with this text. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And then he says, My heart faints within me. In other words, it almost overcomes me to give consideration that there will be a day that I, in my flesh, will stand and see my Redeemer. Turn, if you will, in closing to Acts chapter 2. And there's a whole lot I want to say there, but I'm going to just stop 
we'll look at some of it next week because we're going to look at the gospel as it's given in Job. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Now understand the setting. There was a resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ rose. Just a little over a month earlier, Peter saw him. Christ talked to him. Saw him several times. And Peter stands filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, 24, hear this. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not, catch this, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. In other words, you will not leave me in Sheol. You will not leave me in that place. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You will not let, leave me stranded there. You will not let me perish there. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness. What? With your presence. You catch that? Jesus died and He burst open the gates of Hades so that David's soul and all of the Old Testament saints' souls were not left there. And they knew this. And David had, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foreseen this, heard of it, wrote of it. And then Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne for he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. The one who would deliver his very soul, David's. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And if you were confused, he says, about whether David was speaking of himself, Peter clarifies that. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. It's good for us to hear about death. You understand this, we are going to face death with each other. Did you know that? Some of you will likely be at my bedside, and I will likely be at yours. We will gather one day to celebrate your life and you will gather someday to celebrate my life. We will come together and we may gather around uh, the grave of one of our children, one of our parents, and each other. But hear this. God is to be worshipped because He gives life and He takes life and all that is in between. There is hope and death because of the promise of the resurrection that has been sealed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take hope in that. Take hope in that. Let's pray. Father, my heart has been encouraged to live to honor you, to live to honor those who have invested in my life. You have strengthened me and my prayer is, God, that you would strengthen us that we would not fear death, but that we would look ahead to it even in the most difficult days, that even in the midst of our suffering, that we would rest in you, and even when our souls in anguish cry out for death, to rest in your providence knowing that you have determined our days and those are good and whatever comes in them. God, would you grip the hearts of our children and those who are younger who maybe are not even thinking about death now? Not to scare them, God, but to cause them to see and understand the reality of those things. And in that, Father, that you would show your glory to them in Christ and call them to salvation. 
And Father, for those of us who trust in you already, would you fortify us and strengthen us and help us, God, as we live together with each other to help us to that day when you call us home. We pray these things in Christ's name. The resurrected Lord and our Deliverer. Amen.